Hello, and welcome to another edition of Global Data Pod Americas. My name is Ben Ramsey. I lead JP Morgan's team of Latin American economists. I'm joined here today by my colleagues, uh, Cassiana Fernandez, the chief economist for Brazil, Gabriel Lozano, the chief economist for Mexico and Central America, and Diego Pereira, the chief economist of uh, Southern Cone and the Andes. And uh, we're here today to basically talk about our mid-year outlook. Uh, we've entitled this podcast, uh, Resiliency, Resiliency Belies Malaise Ahead. Um, basically, we've seen some better better performance in terms of growth thus far, but doesn't mean that we're thinking that we've got a, a, a better outlook ahead. And we are certainly mindful of what we uh, also mentioned in the, in the title, the gap uh, in terms of trade. So uh, as I said, we've, we've emphasized in, in our mid-year reference presentation, uh, in our mid-year emos, and as well as our Latin America, our weekly Latin America Economic Data Watch, that the growth story wasn't as bad as we expected in the first half of 2022, but the inflation pressure isn't going away. And despite more resilient growth, we haven't made meaningful upward revisions to our forecasts, uh, particularly not to 2023, where we expect subpar activity to prevail. Uh, part of the impulse to growth so far has been positive commodities prices, but compared to past cycles, uh, institutional uncertainty, inflation, and tightening may prove kind of a, a kryptonite to this terms of trade. Uh, and that's assuming the Fed doesn't sort of blow the candles out first. And I, and I say that basically, you know, the global recession could be sending commodities prices much lower than what we're kind of assuming would prevail going forward. Um, you know, the uncertainty about a global slowdown and the, and the magnitude of, of Fed tightening ultimately thinks, uh, means we think the, the risk for Latin America is probably skewed to the downside. Um, we have acknowledged that the Chinese recovery may be a ray of hope, but um, you know, any more violent turn in the global economy would likely overwhelm this, this China effect, again, particularly on, on the commodities price outlook. Um, in this context today, let's, let's split up the region and, and tackle first the two countries where market pressure has been more acute lately, uh, namely Chile and Colombia, economies that are seemingly pressured by a double whammy of a large current account deficit, uh, uncharted, water, uncharted waters on, on the political side, and, and are we seeing perhaps even incipient signs of financial stability con concerns here? Um, we'll then go to Brazil, where there's no shortage of challenges, but some relevant buffers in terms of more solid external accounts and already high real rates. And then finally, we'll go to Gabriel in Mexico, where the U.S. business cycle and the Fed actions are perhaps even more front and center. Uh, so starting with the more dynamic, uh, if not to say more concerning stories first, um, Diego, let's, let's start talking about Chile. And maybe you can walk us through the macroeconomic drivers that have underpinned the rather extreme market volatility observed of late uh, and how you're assessing the latest reactions of the central bank uh, and policymakers overall. Sure, Ben. Thank you very much. To understand what we have in Chile, I think we first need to grasp uh, where we are coming from. Uh, now, a combination of an overheated consumption scenario stemming from fiscal transfers for around one point of GDP per month uh, in the second half last year, what compounded to pension fund withdrawals for about 20% of GDP. And that added to a positive terms of trade shock throughout 2021 that actually extended to some months in 2022. That led activity to print about five points uh, uh, above its potential level by the start of this year. Uh, obviously, inflation, uh, um, much higher inflation that actually uh, was exacerbated by the uh, supply shocks to oil and food uh, um, in March, April 
uh, May this year. And of course, a wide current account uh, deficit that reached almost 7.3% of GDP in the first quarter of 2022. Also to note that, you know, with the benefit of the hindsight, the policy reaction was a bit slow. Uh, it's true the central bank has been hiking rates, but not able to cool off demand in a strong enough uh, manner. In fact, consumption has proved more resilient than expected <clears throat> throughout the second quarter of the year. And also fiscal consolidation, don't, don't get me wrong, it has been really hefty. Uh, 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 we have seen a very uh, uh, strong consolidation year to date. Um, the fiscal deficit is likely to converge to almost null by the end of the year, the effective one. But, but once you control for the business cycle phase and commodity prices, you still have a deficit of around 1.3 to 1.5% of GDP. And this macro scenario actually transpired against the backdrop of a persistently elevated idiosyncratic uncertainty, which basically has two pillars. On the one side, the constitutional reform, and we are going to an exit plebiscite by the beginning of September. On the other side, uh, I would say the combo, the mix of a tax slash pension slash, slash microagenda reforms of the new administration, Boric uh, administration. So this was the setup. Uh, what happened recently, as you noted, I mean, the combo of a stronger dollar and a risk of recession basically took a hit on copper prices. And we all know the relation in between copper prices and the exchange rate in Chile. That was actually exacerbated by, um, by, 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 by the uh, uh, hate and a domestic uncertainty that uh, I mentioned uh, seconds ago. So the peso plunged, and that forced the central bank to announce an intervention program for around $20 billion, plus $5 billion in liquidity lines. Um, of note, that measure was actually uh, uh, put in place after falling short uh, in regards to hiking the policy rate by 75 basis points to nine uh, and three quarters. So this is you know, basically, in a nutshell, what hap has, ha uh, has happened in Chile. So what about going forward? Uh, first of all, we see additional tightening. Additional monetary tightening is required uh, in order to be able to put inflation expectations on a downward trend and have actual inflation converging uh, at 2-3% by the policy horizon. We see the terminal rate at 11%, and frankly, the risk is, is for higher of a terminal rate. Base case scenarios for inflation to peak late third quarter of the year. Uh, the risk vis a via our current forecast is for higher inflation stemming from FX pass-through. Uh, and the economy will continue to show negative quarter-on-quarter -quarter performance. Uh, we have seen negative sequential growth in the first quarter. Likely second quarter is also to print on the negative side. And I expect sort of the same for the second half of the year. Um, that said, I mean, lingering uncertainty on the constitutional front going to a September plebiscite, uh, that what per se may persist even if rejection wins, uh, um, plus the bold tax reform unveiled by the government and lower copper prices make it importantly going forward, you know, to track the fiscal, the fiscal, the fiscal um, dimension, to track uh, the fiscal policy. Um, which as said has correctly, the fiscal deficit has corrected abruptly this year, but very important to see how, you know, how this evolves into next year. I believe as said that the fiscal dimension may prove, you know, an important factor in order to prevent the central bank from easing monetary conditions abruptly once inflation starts to move lower, 
And uh, I see sort of an equilibrium the central bank having to deliver a real rate of around 2.5%, which for the history of Chile is, is pretty elevated. Um, that said, and with this, I close on Chile, Ben. I mean, from a, you know, from, from the question of a financial stability, we have to remind ourselves that Chile is still showing pretty strong fundamentals, uh, gross debt below 38% of GDP, treasury savings for around 6.5% of GDP, corporate sector does not present relevant effects mismatches, and households don't have uh, effects debt. So Ben, uh, with that said, Colombia has also observed uh, similar market volatility to Chile in the last month, uh, and it's also transitioning to a new leftist government. How is this process playing out? I mean, what are, uh, what are you looking in terms of uh, policy responses ahead, starting this month uh, with the central bank, but going forward with, uh, agenda, with the agenda of the Petro administration? Yeah, thanks, Diego. Yeah, I think some of these challenges uh, sound somewhat similar to Chile, but there's there's certainly differences. And I think one of the starting points, although I think some of the the health the healthy components you mentioned in terms of Chile, um, you know, basically the corporate sector pretty healthy, uh, FX mismatches are not an issue. Uh, we've seen the ability of, of Colombia to have a very you know very flexible exchange rate without creating any type of uh, you know overarching uh, concerns in terms of uh, you know accidents, let's say, in terms of the business sector of the economy. Uh, what the Colombia does have uh, is a longer legacy of, I'd say, structural twin deficits. Uh, and as we, you know, again, to put some context, as you have done uh, heading into this year, uh, certainly Colombia, I think, bounced back much more strongly than what we, you know, uh, most of the region and, and even what we had expected. And we had, you know, I think above consensus growth forecast for most of of last year, uh, that growth has carried over into this year. But what has become has become increasingly clear over the last couple of quarters uh, is that this very strong domestic demand, which is you know, in part, um, you know, uh, fiscal stimulus, which has not been turned off, and I think intentionally was less left on as we headed into the election cycle, um, and uh, a monetary policy, which um, you know basically was a little bit late to the game. Inflation also, you know, sort of surprised up in Colombia later than it did in the rest of the region, but it, it left the central bank uh, looking certainly behind the curve and now trying to play catch up. Basically, left a very stimulative both fiscal and monetary policy environment, helped by. Uh, you know, very strong improvement in terms of trade, in terms of uh, Colombia's cases with oil and even a resurgence of, of coal exports, I mean, put, pumping more dollars uh, into the economy. So the, 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 the issue here, though, has been one where um, that, that strong growth has, has exacerbated the external imbalance, even with better terms of trade, even with better prices for hydrocarbons. Production of hydrocarbons is much less than it was, uh, say, 10 years ago. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the domestic demand is just really putting impulse into the import side of the economy. Uh, and, and it's kept the current account deficit last year close to 6% of GDP. We think this year close to 5%. Now, those are very wide levels and imply um, the need to maintain confidence with international investors and with, uh, you know, with, with, with uh, basically the, the, the companies which are putting FDI into to Colombia. You know, those, those confidence um, links need to be maintained. And I think that's going to be now the challenge of um, 
a new a new government um, which is coming you know from the left really you can it's hard to it's a very historical event in terms of uh, not having a government with this this type of ideological orientation uh, really ever in power in Colombia. I think this new experience is uh, leading to a lot of trepidation and a lot of scrutiny among uh, domestic actors in particular. Uh, and, and again, in this context of these imbalances and vulnerabilities means that I think there's perhaps uh, less room to maneuver. And I think this, alongside you know, the dynamics, the global dynamics, led to some of the extreme volatility that we've seen uh, in asset markets, local asset markets, and the, 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 the currency in, in the last month. Now, the challenge for policy ahead, uh, on the one hand, I think it will be for you know, the incoming Petro administration to balance his agenda, which he feels, you know, rightly so, he has a mandate to implement with um, not destabilizing the outlook and sentiment of, of the economic agents which are needed to keep growth and investment in Colombia and the oil sector and, and how he handles a, a sort of a delicate uh, agenda to move Colombia away from producing hydrocarbons, but when we're, the hydrocarbons are still very important for both fiscal and external accounts, how that balancing act is, is executed is going to be key. But uh, first and foremost will be, as you mentioned in Chile, a very uh, ambitious fiscal reform looking to raise upwards of three percentage points of GDP in new revenue, um, most of which would be channeled towards uh, you know, bolstering social spending. Uh, but certainly not all of it could be directed that way if Colombia is going to head down the path of fiscal consolidation and fiscal deficits are still you know, uh, a wide of 5% of GDP, even though there's been some uh, performance and some temporary, I would say, stabilization and, and debt dynamics. Um, so the fiscal reform, uh, it will be uh, um, put to a Congress, which Petro maybe somewhat surprisingly has managed to put together a, a, a pretty broad governing coalition, it looks like. I think this is um, uh, to some degree a sign of, let's say, concessions towards moderation, because by bringing in centrist parties and putting, looking like having more centrist uh, actors in the administration, there's a, some, some key concessions towards not going too far in the extreme. Um, but we, you know, we have to see exactly what can be approved. And if the, the revenue aspect of this reform falls short, uh, or the composition of it is deemed to be too adverse, let's say, for growth, um, then the question will be in terms of the ambitions, the ambitious and, and um, you know, the promises which were made in terms of uh, social spending, if those can actually be financed without destabilizing debt dynamics, again, in a context where international confidence needs to be maintained uh, and really restored, if we look at some of the levels in terms of um, the, 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 local, the local bond market in order to, to you know, be able to finance, um, you know, finance the government and finance external accounts uh, on an ongoing basis. So I'd say the challenges for the government are strong. Ben Rep, in this context, um, you know, we think that they're going to hike uh, another 100 basis points to get to 8.5% later this month. Uh, we think in their framework, even if inflation, which is, you know, in medium term, is still seems just de-anchored, but is expectations, even if they're as high as 5%, that would be traditionally a pretty restrictive stance, uh, north of 3% real rates. But uh, if we, uh, Benrep may need to feel like it needs to mark itself more to, to, to the region and, and even attain a higher real rate than historically it has achieved in order to, to provide a stability anchor, given the, the uncertainty and, and the vulnerabilities. So I'd say the, the risk in terms of our, our forecast here for BANREP is, is probably still tilted to the upside um, as we, as we uh, look ahead. 
So um, challenges to be sure in, in these two countries, uh, markets have already reacted. I think these are gonna be dynamic stories going ahead, but it's not to be emphasized the two large economies uh, in our region where there's also, also plenty of challenges. And let me turn now to, to Cassiana. Cassie, you've raised your forecast for 2022 growth a bit. Um, you've also lowered inflation given the prospects of some measures, but the government seems to be pushing the envelope again on the spending cap. And this is making the central bank's job harder in terms of uh, keeping inflation expectations anchored. Um, of course, the elephant in the room is the rapidly approaching October election. Um, what, are, what are the scenarios you've been discussing with the investors around these stories? So thank you, Ben. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I think that first, let, let us be clear here. Uh, growth in the first half of the year has significantly outperformed our forecasts. And the way that I see, there are mainly four reasons behind that. First, common to the region, as you mentioned, uh, commodity prices uh, and the importance of commodity prices uh, to Brazil, how that spread through um, some sectors uh, in the economy, but also uh, in terms of fiscal revenues. We haven't seen uh, on the back of higher inflation uh, and uh, commodity prices, uh, fiscal tax revenues have been growing like 40% on an over-year-ago basis. This additional revenues has also uh, been the second, uh, the reason for the second reason uh, that helped growth this year is that helped also fiscal policy was uh, less tighter than what we expected. Uh, the government had already announced during the first half of the year, uh, several tax cuts measures uh, also uh, extended um, some, uh, I mean, anticipated uh, the Christmas bonus for retirees uh, and also had uh, released some funds from the worker service funds. This all had helped to keep household consumption on a higher uh, note than what we had anticipated. The third reason was that clearly we underestimated uh, the impact of the reopening uh, on the services sector. Uh, previously, at the end of last year, we were expecting that uh, with the reopen vaccination progressing very well, uh, we would start to see uh, services going back to the previous pandemic uh, path. And uh, we underestimate the, some pent up demand there were uh, for services. And we actually have been seeing lately services prices is going uh growing significantly above what we had expected the fourth reason uh, is a little bit uh, trickier, uh, is that on the credit market, given all the monetary policy tightening and Brazil Central Bank has been one of the first uh, to start hiking rates uh, and uh, already hiked significantly uh, the, since the beginning was the most aggressive tightening cycle, uh, is still uh, not sufficient uh, to control inflation expectations, but we would have uh, expect that credit would be decelerating more sharply uh, at this point of the year. Actually, if we look uh, at corporate uh, credit data uh, with a caveat here, because of the central bank uh, strike, we don't have much of the data 
that the data, uh, the latest data that we have is up to February, but even looking at the balance uh, sheets uh, of uh, the largest banks, uh, we have seen that corporate credit has somewhat decelerated, but house uh, credit to households, especially consumer loans, uh, had continued to be quite strongly, uh, at least up to uh, up to the data up to the end of the of the first quarter uh, i do expect to see some deceleration but uh, more uh, more concentrated in the second half of the year i think there are some structural changes on the credit market uh, especially with uh, the new digital banks that had kept a very strong pace uh, of credit expansion uh, in the last months uh, so i am very convinced that a sharp deceleration uh, is on the making for Brazil in terms of growth. I am less convinced about timing, especially because there are several uncertainties over fiscal policy. As you mentioned, uh, the government Congress had just approved uh, several measures that will extend uh, the fiscal impose uh, a bit longer, uh, increasing cash transfers, uh, and also releasing um, new measures and tax cuts uh, as well. So I think that those are going to be uh, important. There's a huge uncertainty on the behavior uh, of credit, uh, especially for uh, these new banks uh, and that uh, the, the, the digital banks. But it's important, the longer it takes, Honestly, I actually see that there are more downside risks uh, to the future because given the inflation path, especially when we look at the resilience of core prices, uh, that would also mean that Brazil Central Bank may need to prolong even more the tightening cycle. As of now, we do expect a final uh, 50 bips hike in August, uh, but if we don't see uh, concrete signals of growth deceleration before September meeting, our view is that they may be forced to continue hiking beyond August. Uh, and then you also have the election. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, this is a very polarized election between two well-known former presidents. Uh, while polls are everywhere, suggest a little advantage from two to 20 percentage points. Uh, I think that's fair to work with aggregate measures that the gap is around 10 percentage points between the two of them. But uh, the fiscal measures that were just approved by Congress, uh, these tax cuts to lower inflation, the main concern uh, in terms of economic issues, in the short term and also the increase in social spending uh, with, uh, that were approved with the support of the opposition uh, should improve Bolsonaro popularity in the next months, making it even harder to predict to call uh, the election at this point. I think that it's important to have in mind that the closer the results are, higher risks that the election results will be contested, uh, raising risks of social unrest, especially when we look around uh, the, the dates of the election uh, closer to the first round and uh, up to the second round. Beyond next year, I do believe that uh, institutions will prevail. Whoever uh, wins uh, by the electoral court will uh, take charge of the government next year. But the need for the fiscal adjustment, uh, even higher now, uh, will keep growth constrained uh, and will 
keep markets on these tools, uh, looking at focusing on the economic agenda. So just to end here, uh, the Brazil story also with a more uh, positive note. I think that's in line with what was mentioned, uh, especially in Chile. Uh, we also have a very positive external position, uh, low current account deficits, uh, is still I mean, very marginal at this point, FDI inflows remain uh, more resilient, and there is significant cushion from international reserves, uh, is still around 20% of GDP. Also, uh, this discussion over the fiscal adjustments, especially after the announcement of the tax cuts, the VAT tax cuts for uh, regional governments, uh, should favor to move forward with tax reform agenda next year, whoever uh, wins the election. So I think that uh, the, the market will definitely be looking uh, at the details. Uh, tax reform in Brazil has been discussed, I mean, as long as I am an economist uh, for Brazil, but I think that we also need to be very careful in terms of the details. Uh, what exactly are the measures that are going to be uh, announced and discussed, but overall we do see this as a very positive uh, risk and a very positive measure uh, for next year. So let me now uh, transition to uh, to Gabriel. Uh, and Gabriel, you have highlighted uh, a lot that on the domestic front, uh, the backtracking of structural reforms and investments uh, crowding out will continue to hurt growth, uh, while large increases in the minimum wage is a factor that's waiting on inflation expectations. This mm -hmm. has made Panchico's job harder, uh, as has the uncertainty over US outlook so far, uh, but monetary policy has continued to lean uh, on the side of hawkishness uh, overall. What you'll be watching in the second half of the year, uh, and especially what you're thinking about your 2023 forecasts. Thanks, Cassie, and thanks, everyone. Um, it's definitely interesting to close uh, these uh, comments with, uh, with the Mexico section, particularly when we think about uh, the relationship between Mexico and the US, right, uh, given how uh, intertwined the economic cycles are. The business cycles probably are not as strong as they were in the past for a number of reasons, but definitely is something that we need to, to underscore here. And uh, on top of this, I mean, definitely as you uh, asked initially, uh, private investment has been underwhelming in Mexico, but uh, ever since uh, uh, NAFTA was at risk back in 2014, uh, 15, 16, and a complicated number of years also in the context of a decline in all prices and all production. Uh, but eventually uh, a populist government came in in 2018 with a very poor long-term agenda, which was uh, a very concerning uh, development uh, and in the end had a very very uh, important impact on capital formation. And that's one of the main reasons why we've seen that uh, uh, the private sector have been crowded out uh, and, and in that context, well, growth uh, has been under par. Uh, that is something that is uh, remarkable, is concerning, um, and at the same time, it's worth underscoring that Mexico won't uh, be above the pre-pandemic levels until mid, mid of next year. And that is precisely in the context of a government that has not been able to support the private sector, maintain the structural reform agenda that was in place uh, be before 2018. And in that context, also, also something that is worth stressing is that the government has been very um, uh, concentrated in trying to communicate austerity 
from the fiscal uh, perspective. And while that has been positive from the perspective of the debt metrics and the way in which fiscal indicators have evolved in the last few years, something that has uh, gained attention is the way in which growth has been evolving. Uh, I mean, probably at the end of this administration in 2024, growth will, will not be above 0.5% uh, on average. Uh, for the last eight years, growth has been quite dismal. Uh, and in that context, well, uh, it's been also very concerning that is pairing with a very sticky inflation that is expected to linger for a while. So yes, I mean, for the central bank, it's going to be a very complicated, complicated scenario in which you have minimum wages continuing to increase at double digits, probably for the next couple of years. This is starting to contaminate the, the the, the cost formation, wage formation at the private sector level, which is already uh, setting wages between 8 and 11% in the last few months. And this in the context of the low part growth, as said, in which probably potential growth is around 1.8%. Well, the central bank is going to have a very tough uh, agenda in the next few months. Um, we already saw that the central bank start hiking rates in uh, June of 2021. And that was surprising back then, given the, the way in which Mexico decided to act proactively uh, as compared to other emerging markets. Uh, but at the same time, now that this, the, the Fed, the central bank in the US has decided to start hiking rates more aggressively, well, Banxico will have to act in tandem with the Fed. And that probably is gonna bring rates at multi-year highs. We already expect rates uh, to reach 9.75, 9.75 at the end of this year. That would be the terminal rate. Um, but that is gonna be in the context of subpar growth. And precisely for uh, the second half of this year and for next year, we continue to see um, a correction in economic activity. Probably the manufacturing sector did better in the first half of this year, but it's going to, uh, I mean, the global growth starting to wane is going to take its toll on economic activity in Mexico, all the most because of the close relationship between the manufacturing, the industrial production sector overall, with a certain number of services related to, to manufacturing and, and industrial production, uh, logistics, transportation, the closeness to the U.S. Uh, it's going to take its toll as well if we continue to see moderation uh, on, on the U.S. front. That is precisely what, what concerns us the most. And probably we think that Banxico is going to start uh, modifying its hawkish stance at some point in the next few months. Not yet. We still see Banxico maintaining a hawkish stance in the next couple of, 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 of meetings at the very least. But eventually they will have to, to, to switch, uh, to change gears, uh, to lower gears and send a message that they are more concerned about economic activity and the implications that this might have on uh, mid-term mid uh, expectations for the economy. Uh, something that has been concerning for us is how inflation is not going to be um, uh, um, react, reacting as aggressively or as importantly to economic activity moderation as other economies. Mexico has a number of uh, limitations, barriers to entry in a number of markets, market frictions, and in our view, this is going to maintain inflation stubbornly high between four and a half and five percent at the end of next year. Um, a final and interesting point for Mexico is regarding the FX performance. Uh, I think that something that has relieved some pressure from Banxico has been the fact that the peso has remained relatively stable uh, as compared to other uh, countries in the region. I think that remittances ha have had a great performance, tourism as well, FDA has been stable. And probably, I mean, when I was talking about austerity, uh, and in the end, some of the headlines numbers from, the debt per from a debt perspective have been, uh, I'd say, healthy. 
if you think about the headlines, not if we think about more details in terms of how the government has been spending or uh, what I was talking about, the, the, the direct af uh, affectations on economic activity. But definitely, when we think about the, the overarching uh, macroeconomic framework in Mexico, well, the FX has been uh, having a, a great performance recently. And for Banxico, this is definitely a shot in the arm to maintain uh, a better, uh, or at least not a, a, as much concerns as other countries in terms of what is the pass-through on inflation in, in the current uh, global global context. Um, I think this is a good moment to, to, to finish, uh, uh, Ben and team, uh, for, for the Mexico section. Uh, I'm passing now the, the mic to you, Ben, for final comments. Thank you. Thanks, Gabriel. Well, um, I want to thank all of my colleagues for taking the time to, to do this podcast. So there's obviously a lot to discuss in these four countries uh, and just a subsection of the, the region uh, of, of the full array of countries that we're covering. Um, a complicated moment for the global economy. Um, we have ongoing challenges in, in our region, which are going to be perhaps even further complicated depending on uh, how the global backdrop uh, ultimately evolves. Plenty to continue to discuss. Um, I want to, again, thank you all for, for um, uh, joining us today. I want to thank uh, all of the investors who have been supporting us uh, throughout the year and reading our research. We do continue to look for, uh, we look forward to continuing to engage with you uh, on these platforms or, or just directly uh, on trips now that we're back uh, traveling to the region, which is, uh, I think, uh, something we're all happy about. Uh, and, and once again, I uh, hope you've had a good first half of the year and look forward to continue talking to you in the second half. And thanks again for your time. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 19th, 2022.